All right. Well, Ashley, or Dr. Roxanne, kind of as I know you through Instagram, uh, welcome to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite and what we're going to talk about today. So you are a resident physician where again? Yes, I'm at Morehouse School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, awesome, awesome. And today, do you want me to kind of call you just like Ashley or Dr. Is it Peterson or Roxanne? I guess I don't know your... Yeah, no problem. So my full name is Ashley Roxanne Peterson. Okay. So I really hold tight to that Roxanne part and usually ask people call me Ashley Roxanne or just Roxy. That's what a lot of people call me because okay. um, it's a family name. And so that's why I, I care so much about it. Well, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the best parts of doing this show is getting a chance to talk to people like you, like I've never even been to Atlanta. Um, and it's just kind of cool that we can connect. Like I'm sitting here in Yakima, Washington, 3000 miles away from you. Um, and, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I love social media and just the interconnectedness of the internet and everything. I really, really, really am excited to be on your podcast. So thank you. So, and, and you said it was family medicine, correct? That you're doing or is yes, family okay. medicine. Okay. But, and I know that's not all you do. You, you like also have your own podcast and, and I was trying to look on your Instagram today. You're connected with a few brands is that, or, or tell us, I guess what outside, outside of just being a physician that you do. <laughs> So I also have my own like fashion brand. It's called Labor Rye. So Labor um, and then Rye just to make it like a <laughs> cute brand name. And it's okay. basically for the working woman um, because I really have an interest in fashion, but I never could figure out how to put it together with medicine because I didn't really want to design scrubs. I really... Yeah, yeah we have enough people who do that. Yeah, exactly. I agree <laughs> Um, and then um, I also have a, another brand that I'm creating, um, and it's called Operation Finer. It's basically just um, having women specifically, um, weight loss solutions, healthier lifestyles, and products that go along with that. And then my family has a foundation called PAC Foundation. It stands for Peterson, Ashley, Caitlin, and Taylor, which is um, their three daughters' names. Um, and it basically is to help people have justice, access to food, and the access to health, because those are the three sectors we're all in. Wow, that is awesome. You do, I can't believe, like, do you sleep? Like, my God. I get that question a lot. I really do sleep like seven hours at least every night, maybe six sometimes, but I'm really about like when you have free time using it. So let's say I'm in the car and you know, it's, 10 minutes before I have to be somewhere, then I post at that time for my different brands. Um, at one time I had an assistant. Um, I just really tried to use my free time wisely. So five minutes goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great way to look at it. And, and something I try to even look at my, with this podcast and, and um, I'm trying to do a couple things on the side, but at least trying to do something, you're, you're never going to make a perfect product or a perfect brand, but at least trying to do something can have benefit for other people's lives, whatever it may be. Um, you know, whether it's creating a brand, like we're both kind of trying to do in our own respects or, you know, trying to help, uh, like a movement kind of like what we're going to talk about later on in this episode. Like it, it doesn't have to be your entire day, but if you dedicate, you know, 
30 minutes a day to, to something that you, you do feel really passionate about, you can make great strides and, and steps to move forward. Exactly, exactly. Well, and I, you were actually always on my radar as someone who I wanted on my podcast. I think I've followed your page, I don't know, for a, probably a couple of years now. Because um, like, I, at least since I started medical school, and I'm a fourth year now, that's terrifying. Um, oh, congrats. And, you know, but, but with everything that's kind of going on right now with George Floyd and, and all these protests, I've really found myself kind of reflecting on, am I kind of like an innocent bystander to this you know i i try to consider myself like as uh and an ally or an anti-racist person but it's like is that really who i am and who i represent because i i really looked at my podcast total episodes and i you're going to be my 69th and i've only had on one prior uh episode my my great friend mahalid um, and she identifies as a black woman. And that was the only woman from the black community, only person from the black community. And I felt so much shame. So I, I really appreciate, you know, you coming on here in, in such a short notice, you know, but it, it really, I want to learn so much from you today and how I can become, you know, a better part of my community, a better podcaster. And at the end, of course, a better physician as well. So I, I'm excited really to learn from you today. Oh, thank you. And I'm glad that I could be um, not only a voice for Black people, but a voice for Black women. Um, and I think that someone who is an ally, the fact that you even introspectively recognize that, I think is so important. Because I think even people of color sometimes cannot introspectively look at um, how they play into the landscape. So I think that's a really great step to begin with in the first place. So what, I guess, has your experience, you know, where have you lived kind of growing up and like, did you face kind of different elements of racism throughout different stages of kind of your career and training? Yeah, so I grew up a military kid. So military life is a lot different. You live on a lot of um, military bases. A lot of where my stance on um, the black experience comes from is from my parents and what they've taught me about their experience. So my dad grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, um, back in like the 1960s, uh, 1960s with my grandmother being alive during that time and then him being born in 1970s. And so their stories are a lot different than mine because he did do a lot of racism in Alabama mm -hmm. during that time. My grandma um, walked with Dr. King. And then um, on my dad's side of the family, some of our family members were part of the Tuskegee experiment and just a detrimental um, part of that study. So there's a lot of history, especially on my dad's side. My mom's side um, was more of a middle-class family, still dealt with racism in Texas and Louisiana. And um, what that means is different, though, than my dad's experience because he lived a more humble upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, and poverty and racism, a lot of times, and that experience go hand in hand. Um, and then because of those experiences, though, my parents were always big about service. And so that is what led me to want to become a doctor because I'm mm -hmm. like, how can I serve people best? I always like science. I always... I'm very cliche, like when people are like, why do you want to be a doctor? I'm like, because I want to help people. <laughs> mm. And I really mean that though, and that I want to help people. 
Um, and so now I'm here. I chose um, Moral School of Medicine because of the mission of helping um, underserved people, um, specifically minority people um, on the western side of Atlanta and across Atlanta. Um, and everything for me has shaped a lot about my parents' experience um, and then how I was raised to always serve other people. Okay. And where did you also go to medical school? Yeah, so I went to medical school at a deal school in Georgia. Um, okay. Okay. And I guess why I'm kind of asking is, I, I will, what did your medical school kind of look like? Meaning, at least, and why I'm asking is my medical school um, is very, you know, we're out here in Yakima, Washington. It is kind of a very, uh, the population surrounding Yakima, Washington is very Hispanic. There is some minor, other minorities, but mostly Hispanic. Um, and of course, you know, a large uh, Caucasian population, but the medical school is vastly, vastly Caucasian. And it's, it's embarrassing. And, and it's something that I want to try to advocate as a future alumni of the school to, to try to improve. But, you know, was your med what was your medical experience kind of like? So I I remember people used to definitely say, oh, we wish there were more people of color. But honestly, my um, medical school was diverse by the numbers. Mm -hmm. So I think in my class, we had like 15 to 18 people who in some way could identify as Black, whether that be their of mixed race or whichever. <laughs> and okay. so that's pretty good actually compared to other medical schools now that doesn't mean that we should settle for that right mm -hmm. but comparatively we had about 130 people in the class so that's hitting at about like 12 percent and then black people make up about 13 14 percent of the population 15 depending on what um statistical website or whichever you're looking at and so it's really close to mm -hmm. meeting what the population actually looks like. So in that way, I would say that my medical school was diverse. Um, it's all about, I guess, there were people there that were diverse. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess they met the mark. Um, but the location in Philly actually is, I would say like they put on a Black History Month event every year. Um, they have a, a more robust diversity council. Okay. Um, and we're a new school, so I think that those things all play into the culture. Okay. Okay. So I, it does at least sound a better diversity panel, I guess, than than my experience in medical school. So my question then is, you know. Uh, of course, you can see me on on camera. I I grew up in Connecticut. I am a, a white person but how can i be more of an an ally a support uh just make the environment better for other medical students around me that um are you know a different race and and in kind of that minority right so i think um specifically for medical students um if that's your target i think the biggest thing is that people want to be heard Oftentimes in medical school, um, I feel as though people actually try to silence.
Now through February 16th, join a clean and spacious Planet Fitness for zero enrollment and only $10 a month. With tons of equipment and free fitness training, it's the perfect place for everybody to work out. Even me, Mr. I can't sleep at night, so I keep dozing off during the day. Especially you, Snoozy. You'll rest easier and feel fit-tacular. Wait, how did you get in here? Join in club or at planetfitness.com. Zero enrollment, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Hurry. Deal ends February 16th. See club for details. Voices that were trying to um, speak up about diversity matters. And so if there was like a protest on campus, um, then joining the protest. Even you don't have to be the leader of the protest. Um, you don't have to um, post every day, but just even being there in the protests shows true ally um, ship. Um, I think also the biggest thing, at least for me, when people say there are allies, is about what happens when no one is watching. Those are the things that really count because when you go home for like Thanksgiving or Christmas, not saying your family specifically, but I have spoken to some of my friends before and they say that there are conversations basically that are inappropriate um, and um, have often stereotypes of whether that be black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, white people, whichever. Um, and then speaking up in those conversations because if you live in a mostly um, one type or monolith community who is going to be the difference um, in that community because if you only do things one way who is going to ever change those communities and that's one thing not to go on a tangent but my sister she went to a school that historically has a racist history it's called Washington Lee so Robert E. Lee most people know that he was like one of the leaders of the confederacy and i also i used to always ask her why did you go to this law school and she said because i want to go there and create change and so people do know more about diversity at this school and i never thought about it that way because i always used to be like you should go to maybe like an hbcu where you'd be celebrated and people won't um uh be adverse to any diversity issues that you want to promote she said no because if People always just see one way, always around um, a, type, a certain type of person. When will they ever be around someone who could change their mind? And so she went to Washington Lee and literally she won all these awards because she was like the diversity person. And so um, being able to go into places and have a different perspective of saying, hey, you know, um, um, this is just a very uh, concrete or very like simple example, but oftentimes stereotypes is like, oh, well, you know, black people still, right? Um, or black people create more crime. To, and just someone being in the room that says, hey, you know, that's not true. Let's look at like, what are the systemic reasons? What are the systemic um, history of this area? Um, do you know about redlining? Um, and just educating um, ourselves about black issues is important um just because i feel like so many people say i didn't know that this existed um and so by doing the education the history and the work even myself there are certain things that i don't always know about black history as even as a black person because i like i said i was in the military and so there are certain aspects of like for example i never lived in poverty and so i educate myself a lot about that topic because I work with a population where 
a significant amount of the patients live in poverty. So educating myself about what that experience is, because I can never sit in a room and confidently say, I know what it's like to live in poverty. That would be asinine. Um, and so instead of saying, um, I don't know what it feels like, but you know, trying to understand the experience. Empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, one thing I've kind of realized, you know, in these last two weeks or so with, with our, kind of the, I, I don't even know exactly what to call it. Um, just, you know, these, the, the, the George Floyd, of, I guess, started it, but it was really kind of this culmination of, of all, it, it actually, what am I saying? It didn't start it by any means, but escalated it is maybe the better word to use there. But one thing I kind of learned, you know, so you're a physician just like me and, or not me, sorry, I'm a medical student, but I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to learn all these things for boards, right? You know, trying to stuff my brain full of all this random medical knowledge that I feel like I'm not even going to use. But what the, I then realized, you know, my experience, I, I grew up in a predominantly white area in Connecticut. Um, you know, my college was in Massachusetts. I spent some time in Scotland and Washington in predominantly kind of all white areas. And so um, I saw, you know, the news headline that uh, President Trump is doing a, a rally in Tulsa, um, Oklahoma on Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it created this big uproar. Me, immediately, I honestly didn't even know or remember excuse me what juneteenth was and i had to look it up and i had learned that fact of course previously in history of course you know growing up but i had forgotten it simply because like i, I guess i just i don't think about it enough kind of thing because i guess it like it doesn't those issues don't directly face me head on because i i am a white man in this society and that was it's like i'm starting to i guess learn biases that i really intrinsically have that I, based on maybe my experiences or just, you know, brand, brain bandwidth, but, you know, I, I was kind of like embarrassed in sense by that fact, but, you know, it made me want to improve. Yeah, so I think that those experiences, it's kind of like what I was saying about the empathy of, I've never lived in poverty, but I know that this is Zig, so how do I educate myself? So educating ourselves, is most important the fact that you saw something and then looked it up I think is great um because how many times do people just see headlines and then just glance over it and that's what honestly uh, I don't know how everyone else feels but COVID-19 in some ways was a catch-22 because it's very unfortunate. A lot of people die. A lot of, so many people die. And that's for another day because there's just so many reasons and uh, it's hard to cope and wrap my head around that hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. died from this. But because we were at home and because we didn't have sports or we did, because we didn't have other things, the headlines have been about George Floyd and um, civil unrest and injustices towards uh, minority populations. I think people are really paying attention because there's nothing else to pay attention to to take our minds off of it. I mean, mm -hmm. so in some ways, it's kind of like, huh, that is a side effect from COVID-19 um, that might be a step in the right direction in the underlying of COVID-19. That's something that I've definitely, because it's not the first time that someone who was unarmed and black 
has been um, killed by the police. But it, I feel like it's the first time, at least for me, and I feel like there's truly people on a mass scale, because I've seen people um, and brands before support. Um, Nike came out, what, two years ago mm-hmm. with support of Black Lives Matter. So I can't say that, you know, big brands have not in the past. And Ben & Jerry's has always been an ally. But like multiple brands um, that have not before are now paying attention. Yeah. And then people and populations before. And I think that is because of, at least in my opinion, COVID-19. Because yeah. people are at home, they have more time. And it and kind of created like this vacuum. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. I've never thought of it that way. And it, it really kind of made me think, um, Are you? do you like basketball? Are you a basketball I fan? Do. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, the NBA um, is considering starting, what, in mid-July again or whatever, right. for, so the listeners who don't know, and so now there's all this talk, uh, like Kyrie Irving is really the one I've heard the most yeah. from, and I yeah. think LeBron James might have had a statement too, but they might now choose to sit out the start of the um, the season in July, and they're trying to get a group of uh, more players to do this as kind of a way to show, like, no, we don't want to distract to distract people's attention away from the matters that are much more important than basketball right now. And I I do think that that actually is a good thing. And I think you're totally right. You know, after I talk to you today, I'm going to go watch, um, I love golf. I'm going to go watch some sports, (laughs) but you know, it definitely is a distraction. And so I do think it could actually be an extremely powerful measure that could actually really have some impact. Yeah. I, so I see both sides because there were other players who said statements and they said, this is how they feed their family. And I'm never for people not being able to feed their family with um, the matters at hand. But what I will say is I truly do believe that because there's no like sports or there's no events or there's no going out a lot, it's opening it back up a lot that people have to read the headlines and you can't just skip over it you at least read it and then you decide what you want to do with it. So, I mean, it would be a protest if they stopped um, playing. I think people just have to weigh the benefits. Because, like, for example, one thing that I've always thought about is, like, I want to be this, um, you know, leader for change. I think that example, sometimes um, people have the Malcolm X or they have the MLK way, right? So sometimes those... MLK got jailed multiple times. You know, he has his letter from Birmingham jail and he got jailed for protesting. So I always think to myself, is it more important for me to be a doctor and help these populations or is it more important for me to be jailed fighting for what I want? And so for me, it's more important to be a doctor um, and to help these populations um, that I want to do in the future. And so something that might lead to me being jailed um, is not... uh, like, I have to weigh the benefits um, and the risk. And so, even though I might want to do certain things, I can't do those things because it's all about the, the long term. And so, I, I would just ask those athletes the same thing. And I'm not here to tell anyone how to protest. I'm just saying we always have to risk and benefit analysis, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of like in medicine. Um, and so, that's why I just wonder if people are thinking about it. And that's why I'm saying, like, some people, they're like, hey, I need to see my family because if I go under, that's one less 
black, white, Latino, Asian household that is stable. Um, so we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So a couple other things I kind of want to ask you, just things I was, I was really thinking about and I would really be interested to hear kind of your perspective. I feel like, like we've kind of been talking about, we're all living in this random weird vacuum where we're on our phones way more, we're reading headlines way more. And I saw one thing that came up, I don't know how it came up, but in my Instagram feed today, and it showed two little babies one baby was Asian, one baby was white. And under the Asian baby, it said, should I have to apologize for Pearl Harmer? And the other one was the, the white babies saying, should I have to apologize for slavery? And I, it was really like, what? Like, I found it very, very strange. Because while, of course, you know, I didn't choose to have slavery happen as a thing, I'm still benefiting from this post-slavery world that we're living in in 2020. You know, we can't say that there aren't ramifications from that horrendous portion of our history. And I don't know how, or I want to do a better way of communicating that to, to people who don't have that same opinion to me. I, I guess, what is your thoughts from, from this random story I'm telling you? No, no, I understand. So to me... <laughs> People, and it's a good thing we're on a mental health podcast because it kind of goes into the psych of it, right? So um, one thing about family medicine is psych is a big part of it. So mm -hmm. I've really tried to educate myself on this. And a lot of people, when they feel guilty or they feel attacked, they create reactive formations and they create defense. There's different defensive mechanisms. And so... I think when people say, so should I have to apologize for slavery, is their defensive mechanism, um, whether that be that they're projecting, um, that they're like putting off on a different person, um, that they're lashing out. Um, it is a immature defensive mechanism of basically trying not to get to the point because it's self-preservation in a lot of ways. I mm -hmm. think that you know, if we're honest, people who either have money, um, people with certain um, places in society, um, different races, there are different things that give people in America power and privilege. And because of those privileges, whether they ask for them or not, they do have a different way of life in society, right? And so a lot of people when they're faced with that reality, they feel guilt and they feel like you're blaming me for something that I didn't choose to be born into this family, right? And so their reaction to that is to kind of lash out and say, so should I apologize for slavery? As opposed to looking inward into themselves and saying, you know, what can I do to change the inequalities um, between people and groups and provide equity? It's easier to say, I didn't do slavery, so why should I apologize for it, than to actually create change. And so I think that's what people do. Instead of actually saying, you know, how can I create change so this can be better? They say, well, I wasn't the one who caused these problems and kind of like catch an attitude, I guess, about it. Mm -hmm. and it wasn't me who did it, even though I benefit from it, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, and then realizing that and saying, well, instead of 
realizing that and saying, how can I change to just say, well, it wasn't me, which is just displacement on one of the defensive mechanisms. So honestly, it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Uh, That was a great answer, though. I mean, you know, and I love psychiatry and I hadn't really, you know, jumped of course to that reaction formation kind of thought process and so i that's awesome um and i and yeah i mean it just it disgusted me seeing that post but you know i do feel there has to be some elements almost of an apology um from kind of the white community and and asking kind of the minority community you know how can what is the best way to move forward is it reparations or is it um other mechanisms just to try to level the playing field you know we were kind of talking about the nba today or uh, earlier and what i was kind of thinking about it's you know the well of course some basketball players a lot of basketball players get paid very very well the people that are really profiting the most off of this whole nba system is still mostly white men right all the white owners you know if you look around the stadium um, at regular basketball games and we actually have crowd the lower seats the best seats in the house I guarantee they're mostly all white people and and you know people of upper socioeconomic status of course and so I don't even know where I'm really going with this rant but it just it just all disgusts me and and one question that I kind of want to now ask to you is one thing I've seen a lot is you know how how can a white person become a more effective ally and how do you really define that and and what would you like what is an ally to you to me an ally is someone who doesn't bring down the race so that's number one um and then uh ally is also someone who might not understand but tries to understand and then i think another thing about ally and it's funny, they both start with A, is action. So a lot of people say, you know, I'm not racist, right? I'm not, I don't look down on Black people, or I don't treat Black people anything. And one thing that is actually very sad, because I really think people think that they're saying the right thing, or trying to say the right thing when they say this, but it's actually very offensive, is they say, I don't see color. And Mm so I always say when they say you don't see color, I say, well, then you can't see me because I am black, (laughs) definitely black. And that's it just is right. Um, And I think that what black people want more than anything, at least for me, is to just be treated like a normal human being. Right. So if I do do something criminal, right, if you're white and I'm black, we both get two years for the same crime. Right. Mm. I'm not saying black people don't need to go to jail if they do something criminal. Never, that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm saying that if it's two people in a room and we have the same GPA, we have the same um, experience, that we both get a fair shot at the job. Um, If we both, you know, make the same income and we're going for a loan at a bank, that we both have the same opportunity to get the loan. Yeah. But those things do not happen. Um, there's tons of research showing the disparities in the housing income, the disparity in voting, the disparity in education. And so for me, I think an ally um, is, again, someone who, when, when no one's watching, what do you say and what do you do and what actions do you take? Um, because there's going to be a time where people are sitting at tables who have power and have influence and no one else is going might not stand up for whomever 
But if you are that voice, then that's the ally. Um, and so, like, for example, at one point, people were saying um, affirmative action no longer needs to be in place. Um, and I disagree because to me, those are the reparations. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think just throwing money at a problem is never the answer. So all Black people should get um, 40 acres in the mule, right? So that was the plan, but it never happened. And actually, they, um, quick history lesson, they fooled people into paying into a bank. And then they said, well, when you put your money into this bank, the bank is going to grow and that will disseminate the money from there. Well, what happened was the bank got taken over and the bank died down. So the reparations never happened. It was like a trick. Hmm. Uh, you could research more about it, basically. But it was like actually very sad. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so just the infrastructure of America is basically built not in favor of certain groups. And so doing the actions that changes that to where everyone has a fair shake you know uh sometimes people say oh well we should just put black people like meet a quota and i don't know if i'm for that either like meeting Mm -hmm. a quota like if there's 10 spots one of them has to go to a black person it must be a black person no why don't we do a better job about changing our infrastructure to where you know black people you know can go to um the same colleges or the get the same education to where they are the best candidate they weren't just picked because they were black they were mm-hmm. actually the best candidate for the job because of the changing infrastructure in america to where they are built up and have the education and experience to be the best candidate that for me is what our allies can help us with because allies hold the power still in america um yeah. I mean, and and just like in in my kind of experience in this last few years of medical school, there's so, as if medical school wasn't expensive enough, there's all these auxiliary costs that you have to put forth for, you know, testing uh, sources, question banks, and all this insane amount of money that goes into this process. And it's like, it's just creating all these more barriers for less advantaged people. Right, exactly. And so, like, if, like for example, I'm the first doctor in my family, right? Um, and so there's a difference between me and someone who has generations of doctors in their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there might be someone who, they're the first person to go to college in their family. And so the likelihood of their family having a... Um, a safety net kind of for them is less likely. It happens, but it's just less likely by statistics. Um, and then it's even less likely if you come from a single parent household. Then it's even less likely if you come from like a dangerous zip code. And so all those things come from our allies because black people just do not have the power um, and leadership and infrastructure to make true change for our communities because i hear that a lot sometimes too people are like oh black people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps which i agree we need to do the work um but also even if we the i haven't really woken up until i've had my mcdonald's breakfast deal and i know this is true because before breakfast (laughs) i put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand 
Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's. I'm loving it. We're gathered here today to join Mike and Jill in holy matrimony. So they may file jointly this tax season. And you are? April from Tax Act, the tax filing software with the expert guidance to help you file for less and get more. Works for me. So, Mike, do you take this woman to love, honor, and get her a maximum refund? I do. Jill? Ditto. I now pronounce you married, filing jointly. I always cry at filing status updates. Tax Act. Switch to Tax Act today and start for free. See TaxAct.com for details. Do we may never get to those tables where true change happens. And so that's where our ally comes into place because they may sit at those tables already or know someone who sits at those tables and makes those decisions for infrastructure that create real true long-lasting change. So whether that be laws or redlining or community investments, uh, gentrification is like a huge thing now. But where does that come from? It comes from people who have family lineages of money and they can buy out different areas and they can buy out and change um, what an area looks like and community looks like versus other people who might not have that infrastructure. They unfortunately lose their homes due to rising taxes and things of that nature. But if an ally sat on the board and said, why don't we just invest in these communities instead of gentrifying them, then that creates change that's long lasting, benefits everyone. And then basically black people didn't have to save themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing I saw that you posted, oh, I don't know, recently, um, was talking about kind of the importance of really voting. And, you know, having a democracy that actually kind of works and everyone really participates in. And that's really what I think can drive kind of change. And I really, I I love politics, but I want to see people who don't look like me in positions of power in politics, because I feel like that's what's going to drive change kind of the fastest. So, you know, you're right in Atlanta, and I've been reading all these headlines that the primary that just happened, there was all these, like, insane lines and so can you kind of tell me what's been going on yes so i even was involved with the voting process so i voted early and i waited four hours in line which is asinine but where i voted is a mostly black area and everyone knows it's a mostly black area if you live Mm -hmm. there i have another friend who lives in a wealthier area she's also black um but she lives in a wealthier area that most people would say is a quote-unquote white area she waited in line for an hour. So those three hours matter because if you have kids, you have a job, yeah. et cetera, you might not be able to wait in line for three hours versus one hour. You know, that's the lunch break. Right? So mm-hmm. like four hours, that's your whole day. And that was early voting. Then you have to take into account that COVID, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people had to do like mail-in ballots, absentee ballots. Some people never even got their ballots. What if you don't have a stable housing a lot of people who live below the poverty level move like every three months Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of statistics on that so you're already at a disadvantage because you've moved from the place where you would have got your ballot etc etc and then i worked on voting day like volunteering once again i went to another location in another black area and people were waiting in line for about the same time three to five hours um at, at one point they were having issues with um recruiting volunteers to be the 
election poll workers. Um, I know there was another location that actually got shut down. Um, they were supposed to reopen, but people had to go to another place because there weren't enough volunteers for the poll, um, as well as um, I heard that machines were shutting down in certain places. But when I talked to my white counterparts, or I talked to people who live in those areas, they didn't have any problems. And so I just wonder, um, and then even more um, recently, like in the last couple of years, um, the man who was over the election was also over the voting. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so how can you like police yeah. your um, so there's a lot of, a lot of voting. It's funny that, uh, Trump was basically like, oh, 5 million people voted illegally, but then there's also like voting, um, like red Depressing. in, um, in Georgia, it seems. And so I just always question how we can make the voting process more efficient. Um, yeah because that's definitely concerning and it's a good thing that they're doing an investigation right because maybe they can find more effective ways if they even if they find no wrongdoing um i don't know what they're gonna find maybe they can find hey you know people did wait in line for five hours that's asinine how can we change that i think that would be important too yeah yeah i mean and it's terrifying it, it makes me you know extremely nervous for november um you know with these it, it just sounds like one-on-one vo voter suppression. And I, I love this one podcast, Pod Save America. And they have this one concept called Adopt a State, where you can like donate your political funds if you want to donate. Um, I'm a student, so I can't. Uh, but you adopt a state that, you know, is one of the more purple states, like kind of Georgia or Arizona, one of the swing states, um, at least to try to, you know, combat this, it looks like voter suppression. And so I'm sorry you had to deal with that. And, and it's, I, I do think the, the best thing we can do is just keep bringing awareness to these kind of issues and, and getting people out to vote, because I think that's going to be hopefully the thing that moves, moves things in the right direction. Exactly. And knowing the barriers to voting, some people don't have cars, some people don't have IDs. Um, we just voted in this last vote this last primary about whether or not felons should be reinstated with their right to vote. Um, in places like California, they already have that, but people don't know. So mm -hmm. there's all felons that aren't voting in their local elections because they just don't know that they can vote. So I think that education, voter education, also knowing what are the barriers. So like I said, transportation, ID, and then figuring out when voter suppression happens, who's going to be the person doing the investigation because it can't be an insider, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we'll see what happens from the investigation and following up, staying on, keeping the topic a hot topic because as we even know with COVID-19, uh, when America gets bored of something, we stop putting it in the headlines because COVID is still a real thing, but I don't really see the headlines like I did before. Yeah, yeah. And it's more and more people are wearing less and less masks. At least that's what I'm kind of seeing around me. And it, yeah, it's, it's not good. And, and now, you know, so has your residency been impacted by kind of COVID? And why I ask is there's a residency here in town, but they like aren't due to the limited amount of uh, personal PPE, 
they're limiting kind of some of their COVID interaction kind of things. Is that what you're seeing at all? So I work um, a lot at Grady Hospital in Atlanta. And so it's a safety net hospital. And so there's almost no way that we could stop. We would always have to expose ourselves to COVID-19 and that's what's happening. Um, and then we have a pretty good, I've always felt like we had good access to PPE, um, especially after the first like two weeks when people really started realizing mm -hmm. serious. Um, we had access to PPE as a residency program. Um, so I would say that we have been impacted in that we do see COVID-19 patients. Um, and I think that people definitely were afraid at one point, staff, employees, you know, residents, physicians. Um, but as we've learned more about PPE, washing our hands, social distancing, um, what the symptoms are going to be, screening on campus, I think that they've done an effective job of trying to make sure that we don't get exposed within reason because the, the biggest thing is they took the medical school students out because they're not physicians yet right mm -hmm. versus residents we're physicians so in my opinion we were going to stay on the front line i i realized that um and so the responsibility definitely is great but i think everyone kind of stepped up and there weren't as many cases as it could have been, at least for my residency program. Well, good. And so what, and what year resident are you again? So I'm a first year, technically okay. I'll be a senior in like two weeks, I guess. <laughs> okay, okay, cool, cool. Well, awesome. Well, we're coming up on, I only have the, the free version of Zoom, so I know it's gonna <laughs> kick us off in about, uh, I don't know, five minutes or something here. So I've really enjoyed talking to you so much today and and I want to continue to learn and and I hope that you want to come back on the podcast sometime or I'd love to go on your podcast um what's the best way that the listeners today could find you and find the stuff you're doing yeah so the best way is definitely Instagram I'm on it frequently um my at name is at dr dr ashley a-s-h-l-e-y roxanne r-o-s-a-n-n-e so that's dr ashley roxanne on Instagram um dm me I give out my number especially if you need a mentor um, I'm always looking for people to mentor, especially if you want to do family medicine or do DO, because I know that there's less mentors in those spaces. And as always, you can ask me questions. I try to keep it real. That's the name of my podcast, Real Medicine, mm -hmm. Pop and Rock. So check me out on all streaming podcast platforms. And Logan, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it um, and for giving people a voice to talk about what's going on with them. Yeah, well, I've really enjoyed having you on today. You know, hopefully uh, I can find my way down to Atlanta sometime and we can meet in person. Uh, but ever, if you're in the northwestern section of the country, um, come hit me up. Who knows where I'll be in uh, once I match, if I match. Hopefully I'll match. Well, but <laughs> Awesome, awesome. All right, well, I hope you have a great, great day. You too. Thank you so much. All right, take it easy. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. 
There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired a nature show host. In the native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got GEICO, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. GEICO will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. GEICO. Great service without all the drama.